So at least I'm not hated. <laughs> Could be worse. <laughs> Welcome to the episode. Before we begin, remember you can ask us a question and we will answer it on the podcast at the end of the episode. You can ask by e- emailing us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. Today we are discussing the readings from the 22nd Sunday of Ordinary Time, year A. We have a famous line from the prophet Jeremiah. St. Paul talks about metamorphosis and Christ calls Peter Satan. But first, the local news. <laughs> the local <laughs> news. <laughs> well, the biggest news for us right now is that Lee graciously brought us some French press coffee. Yes. I saw it on Joe Rogan once. <laughs> if it's good enough for yeah. Joe Rogan, it's good enough for us. <laughs> I feel like it, it would help us kind of perk up a bit. If Maybe we we'll were... start taking, like, smoking cigars or something. So Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's uh, French press. I haven't had French press in a while. Recently, we had it when we went out to breakfast a yeah. few weeks ago. Um, the original Pancake House. They offer French press. It's like four bucks, but it gives you like two and a half cups of coffee. Yeah. And I'm it's, like, it's better than probably anything else yeah. that they would have. So And so normally I drink drip coffee. Um, I used to do French press at seminary occasionally. Mm-hmm. The thing is French press is a process, right? It is. It's not as quick and easy as drip, but it does taste no- noticeably better. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. There, there's a bit of a contemplative process to it. Yeah. It was it's, a yeah it's a ritual. Yeah. Right. And seminary was actually where I, I started. Is that where you started to? Yeah. 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 I saw a French press maker, I think, at a Starbucks or something. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. <laughs> yeah. Because I think it was maybe necessity that drove me there mm. because the coffee at the cafeteria it's and the cafe was just, bad. Yeah, yeah, it was, I know. Well, it was rough. When I first started at seminary, I spent a couple of weeks drinking the cafeteria coffee. Watered down, usually old. Then I got myself like an eight dollar drip coffee machine for my room, mm-hmm. um, and then after that, I got myself a French press. I use the drip machine more often, but it was like on Saturday morning you get to sleep in. Yeah. Uh, you know, mass is at nine, not right. at six forty-five, and so uh, you have time to unwind. You know, ritualize your morning yes. <laughs> with some French press. <laughs> well, you know, calf coffee is always great for entering that purgative way. You know, really, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. the, the night of the senses. Yeah, you know, it just keeps you awake. There's no pleasure to it. Right. That's it, it, yeah, exactly. It's very it's, utilitarian. <laughs> right. There's usually some grinds at the bottom. And yes. if you don't put anything in it, it gets even more. You, you know, I can't drink it without like cream and sugar. Yeah. Because it's just, it's just too bad. Whereas yeah. French press, I can drink black. Um, right. It's much smooth, smoother. Typically, like cream and sugar in my coffee, but if it's good coffee and if it's brewed well, like French press, I'll drink it black. So, yeah. So, cheers to French press. I'm gonna take a sip right now. <laughs> so you're um, what in your second week of teaching, second or third? So, uh, second and a half. Like, so the first week was like started on Wednesday. Yeah, right. So technically, the third week. Um, yeah, it's been a it's been a challenge. Yeah. It, it is it is intense. It is. Um, the kids are good. You know they're. As good as 17-year-old kids can be. <laughs> um, but they're seniors, and so a lot of them are just very focused on college, where they're going next. Right. That's and true. And so the, <laughs> uh, what they're usually doing on their laptops is, like, applying for colleges. Um, <laughs> they're not playing games. Minecraft. I don't think so. Well, I don't think so. But so what was it? This past Monday, I forgot to tell them no laptops. And so they all were on their laptops. And the class was really rough because they were just – distracted um you know as to be expected tuesday uh 
I told them, put away your laptops and just take out a notepad and you know that'll cut down on the distractions. They closed their laptops. And then as I started the class, you know, they were listening. I turned my back and I started writing on the whiteboard. And when I turned around, they were on their laptops again. They opened their laptops in the middle of class, <laughs> like while I had my back to them. And I was like, guys, are you, are you serious? And, yeah. they, and they knew what they were doing. Like they laughed and then they put it away. They're like, yeah, you know, you, you got us. <laughs> I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> Very sneaky. Very sneaky. Um, so, yeah, it's um, keeping their attention is, is kind of difficult. Yeah. Um, but there, there's some smart kids in that class. And uh, I actually had a really good class on Tuesday. Uh, we were talking about the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually contextualized it within the mass. Uh, I started that um, – so I'm t- for context, I'm teaching uh, apologetics to the seniors. And I uh, – the first day of class, I just asked them to write down what they want to know about the faith. Uh, and so everybody wrote down a question. Uh, and what I was surprised to read is that about three or four questions, out of, this was about out of 20, 20 kids, wanted to know what happens at the Mass, hmm. uh, which I found I, I didn't expect that. You know, I was going to expect, you know, how can we reconcile science with faith or, you know, I don't know, just some more – Maybe not cliche, but typical uh, yeah. questions about the faith. But yeah. everyday kind of everyday conflicts, you might yeah, you might think yeah, and, and uh, but by far it was, it was four. None of the questions actually repeated except the mass question. There were four about three or four kids that wanted to know what happens at the mass, and so that's that was interesting. And maybe it's because at the school we uh, that's one of our big events as a uh, as a community is that we have our all school masses once a month. Uh, daily mass is offered there four times a week, uh, and so maybe they're just you know maybe that's their curi- curiosity. Uh, but I, I found it, I found it hopeful that they're like okay they're asking questions about the mass, and so um, I went on a rant on Tuesday just about what the mass has to do with man's fulfillment and an answer to the problem of evil, um, and they seemed intrigued. It's not always the case. So <laughs> it, was, it was a good yeah, class. Yeah, right, right. When they, when they are intrigued, then. It's, it's, a, it's a good day. <laughs> I think if you can get high schoolers to, to pay attention and to be engaged and intrigued by what you're saying, you can probably do anything. You can, <laughs> you, you can probably tell, you can probably talk to anybody. Yeah. And I, I would imagine your, your preaching might even get better because you're like, wow. If, <laughs> yeah, I, if I could. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> true. I, um, when I say they were intrigued, I mean, all or for the most part, you know, <laughs> there's always going to well, be a right. few kids that don't care, right. Um, right. and and that's that was the case. Uh, but I noticed that a lot of the kids, and and especially some that don't pay attention, were perking up and, and listening. So yeah. that was good. Yeah, every now and then you get into a topic. I think you know it happened right. a handful of times where yeah. everybody was yeah. really. It's just that but... you know, and it's just typical. <clears throat> what I'm realizing, in in my, in my Great experience of teaching two weeks uh, <laughs> is that, you know, high schoolers, you know, and these are, these are kids who are very, um, uh, you know, they, I'm not going to use the word privilege. That's, uh, I think that's too oversimplified. But, you know, they, they, they come from very good families, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and their families usually are very loving. Uh, you know, they're, it's a Catholic community. And so uh, they have their parish, their Catholic school, good families. They're young. At that age, you feel invincible. 
it's hard to start thinking about like deeper questions at that age sure. from that lifestyle, right? Uh, I knew that was true for myself. Uh, you know, I really didn't start to think think deeply about certain things until I went off to college. And so you know, I'm standing there and I'm thinking, you know, I'm asking questions about you know, the problem of evil. Um, it should resonate universally. And they're just like not communicating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, this is like one of the most important questions you can ask yourself. You know, how, how can there be a good God if there's evil in the world? Uh, and that, that was back on Monday and they just were just not in it. Um, but I think like part of it is that like the intrigue with those questions has to come through experience. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis said that like suffering is God's megaphone to the world. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, and Peterson mentioned this too when he was talking about Noah's Ark. Uh, you know, one day you're going to get cancer or someone you love is going to get cancer. And then your whole world view is going to shift. Right. And, then, and then what then, right? Like, what do you rely on? You know, what are the questions that you ask? Uh, sometimes, so, like, suffering can actually work for the good to actually get you to think about something, you know, deeper than yourself. Yeah. Um, uh, Peterson actually was just talking about that with Theo Vaughn. Uh, about Theo Vaughn was talking about suffering and pain. <laughs> yeah. Um, just how do you justify your, your suffering or your life? When, you, when something bad inevitably happens, I mean, in the end, mm-hmm. all of us will suffer as we'll, as we'll get into. The great disappointment of, of death. Like that's, yeah. death puts an end to everything. Yeah. And an end can be a failure. So it, that's going to happen to everybody. Mm-hmm. How do you get through that? Yeah. How, how do you justify that your suffering or even the suffering of someone that you love very much? You know, your parents or your spouse or children. That's a that's a question that will eventually kind of confront you. Oh, yeah. And, and without death... Without the, 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 the truth that all men die, you can live however you want. You can believe anything you want, really. <laughs> um, but the question of death like, calls into question all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's what, you know, all, all religions and all philosophies are somehow contingent on the question of death. Uh, you know, what is man and why does he die and why do we seek life? Like, you know, that's like the fundamental question. And that's, you know, that's going, going back to what I said about the mass is like, this is the answer to the problem of suffering and evil is that God doesn't do away with it, but he actually enters into it and then mm-hmm. transforms it from within. Uh, and that's Christianity's answer to the problem of suffering. That universal longing and question of the man, of man's heart is answered at the mass, really. Right. Um, so anyway. Uh, those are some things that I've been trying to get at with my kids, and depending on the day, they're just going to be interested or not interested. So yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 hit or miss sometimes, but um, I think you know, as we talked about before, it's it's about hope and faith mm-hmm. and and just knowing, putting your conscience at ease <clears throat> that you're doing your duty. Yeah. You know, do your duty well. Yeah. And yeah. let God kind of sort everything else out. And that's and that's what I have to keep relying on because, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but it is true. Um, you know, you the most you can do is plant seeds. And it's easy to know that, like, uh, in the ether, <laughs> uh, disconnected from teaching. But when you're teaching day in and day out, um, the temptation to just think it's all hopeless and, like, these kids right. aren't going to get it and – it's strong, you know, and you have to keep reminding yourself, like, I'm going to just do my yeah. part, you know, do my best and 
hope, like you said, hope, hope for the best. Yeah. So. I recently read something from Viktor Frankl, and he was saying that there there are some human acts that you just can't command. And he said, mm. laughter is one. He mm. said, if you want people to laugh, you don't command them to laugh. You tell provoke them, a, them. Yeah, right. To you, laughter. Yeah. You tell them a funny joke. Provoke is a good word because then he he says that faith is one of those things as well, mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to convince or um, persuade or sit, t- tell somebody, just believe, just have faith, that show them that you right. are convicted by faith. Yeah. You know, um, of... Benedict XVI says the same thing. He's like, in his um, opening chapter and in introduction to Christianity, he says, no one can lay faith uh, at the footstep of another person. And he says, even a believer cannot do it for himself. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. You know, there's very much um, a, re- a receptivity to faith that we all have to have. Uh, that's fundamental and foundational before you actually begin a life of faith. So, yeah. So, anyway, that's been my week. Nice. It's all good. Yeah, <laughs> it's it is. all good. <laughs> and like the kid, like I said, the kids are very respectful too. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of kids that are, are. I have to figure this out if I'm going to separate them because um, this is the second time that they've been two days in a row that they've been talking to each other um, during my class. And so, you know, I'll just quickly snap and say, guys, guys, come on, yeah. cut, cut the chatter out. And, and they do. And then after they forget. And then after 20 minutes, they start talking to each other again. And so, um, But at the same time, after class, you know, both of them are saying very respectful. And, and you know, they come up to me. Thanks, Father. Have a good day. Yeah, so at least I'm not hated. <laughs> <laughs> Could be worse. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I remember splitting up students and it could sometimes make things worse. Because really? now, instead of having the problem localized, it was now spread out. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so, okay. But that, that, that wasn't always true. No, but that's a Som- good point. Sometimes it did help. Um, but if the kid is naturally a talker, it doesn't matter who he's next to. Right. He's going to talk. Well, right. Right. Okay. And so yeah. what ended up happening sometimes is that you have to you have to take a few weeks to learn the students and their kind of dispositions. Mm-hmm. And if there's a, a quiet student or a student doesn't talk, sometimes you can... Uh, put them next to each other and oh, they'll just like not work it Responders, out. Responders, right. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah the, the quiet student will, will um, put an end to it or the quiet student will get frustrated. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there, there's some trial and error, some uh, almost chemistry that goes on. Yeah, <laughs> to see, right. Uh, the reactions between the students. But yeah, I start my master's class tomorrow. Oh, that's tomorrow. right. Yes. Thursday. It's, it's on Thursday. Yeah. I'll start that up. Very, very don't, exciting. Don't ask me too much about it because I don't really know what I'm doing and I'm nervous. <laughs> and the teacher I've been talking to, we've been having some poor communication oh, really? about what to talk about. So, okay. or what I'm going to write on. But this uh, is a directed study, right? Uh, or no? There's going to be a few kids. Oh, oh the, it's kids. Yeah, yeah. There's a few people in the class. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. No, it'll. It's a. It's a full blown class. Okay, there, okay. There's a few people there. Um, but then eventually, I think next semester we get a more directed um, study. Study, but yeah. with the with the professor that you yeah. want to work with or that you're doing research with. So I have that. I'll update you as we go on. Um, Monday, we celebrated, this past Monday, we celebrated Saint the, Saint, yeah, the yeah. Memorial of St. Augustine. Um, very, very popular saint. Yes. Very, I mean, probably one of the greatest intellectuals in oh, Western. foundational. Yeah. You know, I, I, sometimes yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if we realize how deep St. Augustine's thought runs in the West. And how much he actually wrote, too. Um, yeah. He was so prolific. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of people nowadays, rightly so, 
sometimes it gets overblown. <laughs> um, point to Thomas Aquinas as, you know, he's yeah, the sure. ideal theologian. In a lot of ways he is. But you read Aquinas and he is dependent on Augustine. Oh, he yeah. is constantly quoting Augustine. Yeah. And so what Augustine did for the church is um, you can't, it's invaluable. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, he, we would not think the same way we do without Augustine. Because he also wrote on so many things on, on you know, politics, yeah. virtue, grace, the church, mm-hmm. um, the nature like of the, God. And, the you way know. to read, read scripture, too. Yeah. Yeah. He was, one of the first, yeah. he was one of the first ones that really opened my eyes to like the many senses of yep. scripture and how scripture can be interpreted yeah. at multiple levels. Um, I think the confessions is it's like a must read. Yes. Like, like yeah. even if like you're, because it's not, it, it's such an, an engaging work. It's not, like dry theology. There's a ton of theology in it. Yeah. But the, it's... It's a human story. But yeah, yeah. And I think that's why, one reason why it's still such a popular book, even among people who uh, are not Catholic. No, yeah, or even secular who, um, yeah. institutions, like uh, right. secular schools will assign it as reading. Right. Because like over 1,500 years after it's written. Right. Because <laughs> you know, yeah. on multiple levels, there is sort of... Um, now, I've never read it in the original Latin... I've read parts, and I had a teacher who did, and you know, apparently the the composition in Latin is un, unparalleled. Mm. It's it's an incredibly beautiful work of Latin. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I think it's a rare glimpse into like the universality of the human condition. Yeah, um, oh, yeah that totally. like even though he lived, you know, fifteen hundred years ago, he he's still saying and doing the, the things that we do today. Yeah, yep. you know, we we don't have many of those from the from antiquity. In, in yeah. the ancient world, we don't have a lot of manuscripts that kind of show the day to day life. Every now and then, we have a letter from a university student, yeah, right, in, you know, the 1500s, yeah. or um, the letters of Peter Abelard and Eloise. You know, you, you kind of get a glimpse of medieval life, mm-hmm. but here was you know Augustine struggling with the same things really that I know people struggle with today. That's what um so yeah on Monday uh, on Saint Augustine's uh, memorial, I said mass for the school. But it's during break mass, and so I'm limited in time. I usually don't preach at break mass because there's just not not enough time. It's like 20 sure. minutes. Well, you have to, uh, St. Augustine. So I did, yeah. yeah. And and so I, I caveated, like when I got up there to preach, I was like, I know I normally don't preach. I'm going to keep it short, but how can I, how can I not? You know, on Augustine's yeah. feast day, how can you not? And I, I mentioned his um, confessions as being um, kind of foundational to the way that modern man can approach faith. Uh and in some ways, like the way that he approached his faith is 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 is, is existential, mm-hmm. and it's it's a way in which like only now we're starting to realize has like a lot of value. Maybe, yeah. And when I say now, I, I, it reminds me a little bit of Kierkegaard. <laughs> um, like again, that existential sense, approaching God from within. Um, and so. Yeah, so I, I just preached for a couple minutes. Sure, uh, and it, it's just fascinating how pertinent, like you said, his writings are today, uh, really more than ever. I, I believe. Um, Maybe one day we can get we can get into a, a topic on Saint Augustine, something from the Confessions. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, but so he's known for the Confessions and the City of God as well, like the yeah. like, massive book, <clears throat> his you know his commentaries, his sermons, but a work which. I feel like isn't well known, uh, you know, outside of those major works. I, mean, I, I feel like if you're immersed in Catholic theology, you've probably seen it. But his work, the retractions, mm. where he went back later in life, and I think some people 
it's a bit misleading because they think he like retracted statements and said like I you know I no longer believe yeah. this. Um, but <laughs> believe in general, r- right. yeah, right. It, it was it was a retraction of certain um, maybe theological topics, a change of opinion or qualification, clarifications mm-hmm. um, that kind of. It, there were some cases in which he changed his mind on some I, topics. I, yes, I, I think he did. I think um, um, what was the work on the freedom of will? Yeah, I remember there was a section uh, at the end with yeah. his retractions. And he's like, I think it's more accurate to say blah, blah, blah. Right, right. They said that's a a qualification. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, some people think it's like he took back the faith or something like that. Right now, yeah, that's ridiculous. (laughs) But no, it it was um, just, yeah, some clarification and qualification. But I thought that we should take the retractions. We should take that that idea and apply it to our own podcast. Yeah. So we're going to – I don't know how often it will (laughs) be, but we'll, we'll have a segment called The Retractions where uh, stuff that didn't make it to the full episode <laughs> will be there. We had something on the Little Mermaid that we we um will have will release yeah. at a different time. Contrary to popular opinion, uh, Father Torres is not perfect. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. He will say things that he later regrets. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we'll have the retractions for that. Our own segment, our own Saint Augustine's retractions. But yeah, that'll be so. Fun. Let's let's get into let's get into the twenty second Sunday of Ordinary Time, yes. Year A. So we have. The first reading is from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 20. And he he opens with a with a famous line. At least I, I think it's famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have you duped me, O Lord, and I have let myself be duped. Mm-hmm. Now, in the mystical tradition of the church, this is often interpreted as kind of the soul enraptured with God. So, so sometimes you'll see it translated duped or deceived or even seduced. Mm. So uh, the mystical writers see this, again, as, as the Lord almost seducing the soul of the person to fall in love. Um, did hmm. you ever see Into Great Silence? No, I have not seen it. But uh, Oh, no, wait. Did I watch that in class once? I would I should have remembered. Maybe we watched scenes of it. I don't think Probably we watched Probably scenes. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's the opening line. You, you know, the that's screen's the epigraph. all black. The epigraph yeah, okay. is, you have duped me out, Lord. And the idea there is hmm. that the men who go to become Carthusians are, you know, kind of drawn in by God. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're seduced to this way of life. Um, I love that movie as a side note. It's a silent but, movie, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, the only sound is like what happens in the monastery. So yeah. there's no music, there's no narration. Mm. It's only what's going on. I watched it when it was snowing outside. One oh. minute break and there's a little fireplace. The vibe, it, was, it was it was amazing. I was like, I could totally do this. Yeah, I could right. I could be a Carthusian, you know, while I'm like all bundled up yeah. and everything, and like these guys are like sleeping on concrete. Right, waking up at three a.m. Yeah, but as much as I love a good mystical interpretation, as you know, Saint Saint Bonaventure, Saint that's John the Cross, that's that, that, that's yep. I, for me the literal sense almost doesn't exist. Yeah. It's all all mystical. Yes, as much as I do like that, technically speaking. This you have duped me, O Lord, is not about that. Mm-hmm. It's about this idea that Jeremiah feels like God called him to become a prophet, but has kind of abandoned him and led him into being tortured, mm-hmm. you know, being beaten, being arrested, being imprisoned. Um, right. He says, it, you know, all the yeah. day long, I am an object of laughter. You know, everyone mocks me. Yeah. What's the opening line from Jeremiah, uh, the book of Jeremiah? Uh, That's not um, before, or, no, I f- I'm sorry. before I formed you. No, it's not. No, it's not the opening line. I'm sorry. It's, it's Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. That's like the most 
famous passage in Jeremiah. People hang it up in their walls. Oh, um, I know well the plans for yeah, you. That yeah. yes, plans yes, for a future to give you hope. Um, yes, that promise is like it's funny reading. You know, if you take Jeremiah Jeremiah um, in context, you see that you know that promise is in tension with this right. sense of disappointment that Jeremiah is going through. Right, right. Uh, but you know, I think taken out of context, it's like that's such a heartwarming, cozy message. You know, God has a bright yes. future for me. Yay! As if there's not going to be a cross and suffering, right? Right. <laughs> right. I I had a uh, my Old Testament teacher. She said my, my Pentateuch and historical books teacher said if you ever do that, if you ever take a line out of scripture, really read the context to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know that totally. Like, yeah. Because <laughs> she she talked about uh, <clears throat> um, Joshua, where it's like for me and my part, my household will serve. We'll, like, we'll you serve know, the serve, Lord. Yeah, that's a common Lord. one. Yeah. Um, but the greater context of that is he's basically like. Like either get on the boat or or get out. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's kind of right. a harsh. Like you either serve God or or get get out of this tribe. Like get out of this yeah. land. Um, which I I guess the quote kind of you know out of context, but I don't know it's it's, it's, a, it's a lot it's, harsher. It, yeah, it's a lot yeah, harsher totally. in the context. But you know that's like saying like imagine a blanket with like get behind me Satan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or come let us have breakfast. That's yes. like my favorite. Right. Uh, that would be my Episcopal motto. Motto. If That's God gonna, ever, um, Lord, if you were here, this would not have happened. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, there will be a stench. You know, that's right. another good one. Yes, um, that was I, a game that we those seminarians loved playing. Episcopal model, mottos. Um, <laughs> what a seminarian game to play! I know, I know. <laughs> what a nerdy seminar. game to play. Um, not that I, I don't like it, but um, right. So Jeremiah has been preaching to Israel about their infidelity mm-hmm. to the covenant, which obviously is not going to win you many friends. Yeah. Um, he uses several symbols and signs to demonstrate this, um, and quite clearly the people are not reacting well. Mm-hmm. Um, but despite all these efforts, and he's been doing everything God says, do this, and he does it. Um, he, you know, he, there's the weird um, symbol of the dirty loincloth in the, in, the, in the rock that happens in Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah. So some strange yeah. images, but despite all of his efforts— Jeremiah kind of feels like he fails, mm-hmm. you know, in, in this passage. And he feels like he believes in God, um, but he's kind of questioning, did I not receive this special call from you? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I did. You know, you said I from you know, I, from your womb I called you. Yeah. And you said I'm young and I, I can't speak, but I gave you a tongue to speak to the nations. All these things, and yet, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm being mocked and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a part of this— or people deride me all all the day long. So it looks like this cry of you have duped me is it looks like God has mis, misled him. Mm-hmm. And that he's made enemies instead of converts. And he wants to walk away from God. He wants yeah. to walk away from this, but this other half of the passage is, you know, I say to myself, I will not mention him, I will not speak his name, but it becomes like a fire burning in my heart imprisoned in my bones and I, I can't keep it in. So despite all of his appeared failures, God is like a burning fire in his heart that he he just can't. Like the yeah. zeal for for God remains. Yep. And he and he feels that despite everything, I have to keep on preaching. Yeah. Fidelity. A, a prophet like the nature of a prophet is to prophesy, right? Right. And so he can't deny his own nature in a sense. <laughs> uh and, and you know, going through the scriptures, any 
if, if anyone's called to be a prophet, they're going to live a hard life. Like that's yes. just, that's their lot is to live a hard life and then die. <laughs> like that's really, <laughs> that's it. Uh, and so that's what we're seeing with Jeremiah is that the, the, the romanticized version of um, being a chosen hero, um, you know, one among many that God chooses to come forth and preach to the nations is not, is not what it seems to be, mm-hmm. not, not what it appears to be. You will be a great prophet means that you will suffer right. much, essentially. Right. <laughs> uh, and yet despite that, um, prophets continue anyway because of exactly what Jeremiah is expressing here, that although they are objects of laughter, people mock them. Uh, wherever He says, whenever I speak, I must cry out, violence and outrage is my message. Uh, and he, he's an object of derision and reproach all the day. Mm-hmm. Despite that, like they have to continue. Yeah. And it's, 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 I guess you can say it's, it's like passion or love, right, for mm-hmm. our Lord. Uh, and you, you, again, a, a prophet cannot deny his own nature. So, but the, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful passage towards the end, because he he's on the verge of actually giving up. It, it sounds like it, right? Yeah, he's, he's like, I I don't. I, don't I say to I myself, I will not mention him, him being the Lord. I will speak in his name no more, despite being called from the Lord, from God by God. Um, he's like, I'm done. <laughs> right. But then it becomes like a fire burning in my heart. It's yeah, pretty powerful. So um, St. John Henry Newman says that Jeremiah is the prophet himself, and perhaps the whole book, you could say, is a lesson for the disappointed. Hmm. And he says that there's kind of this difference between the early prophets, Moses, Samuel, David, and these later prophets, you know, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and the like, that in the former prophets, they may have suffered hardships, but they were in the end honored. Hmm. You know, obviously Moses and David... Right. Highly honored. Right, right. Uh, and even, you know, Samuel. But he said these these later prophets aren't. You know, Jeremiah doesn't die a hero. Mm-hmm. He, he dies, again, this person who was kind of a, a nuisance. Yeah. In a well? Was he, does he die? Is he the one that dies in a well? Or um, I know they throw him in a well. Uh, okay. I don't think he dies there. Okay, okay. Um, but still, I mean, later... I mean, Christ kind of calls out the uh, the Israelites for this. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, you all honor the prophets, but actually, you didn't. Yeah. When they were here, you you treated them poorly. Yeah. And then, kind of later, memory kind of you know softened. Yeah, yeah. It's like, afterwards. oh yeah, no, it was a good time. He, yeah. you know, he did do the right thing, <laughs> but it, you know that's in hindsight, many years later. Right. But he, he, he Newman calls him, uh, I think, a lesson for disappointed because he says that. You know, he had a, a reason from the beginning to have good hope. Mm-hmm. Again, he was called from his, from his, you know, before he was born yeah. to be this prophet. And he was of the tribe of Levi, a, a priestly tribe. The king at the time, Josiah, was a good king. Yeah. And he wanted, um, this king wanted to reform right. all the abuses and the corruption. And so he's thinking, wow, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm on the right road. You know, I have a lot of encouragement to, to keep going. Yeah. If I was a betting man. I would have bet that he would have lived a good life. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, he thinks, okay, there's reform going on by the king. If I tell people to get on board with the reform, they'll, they'll, they'll listen. And they'll listen. Yeah. They'll hop right on. Yep. But the king dies kind of young. Mm-hmm. And then kind of the corrupt powers that be 
they get a hold yeah. of the seats of, of, of authority. And so when he starts to preach this message, he starts to get backlash and he thinks, again, have I been duped? Yeah. Like I, I thought things would go different for me. And so I think what Newman's trying to say is a lot of us kind of are excited to begin ministry or to begin our lives or, you know, even if you're young, you know, you're talking about your students, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're thinking about college and they're excited for the future. But what they don't know is perhaps it will not end how they think it will. Yeah. And exactly. perhaps disappointment could be their lot. And what do you do about that? Right. You know, everyone, I think, thinks, how will I handle success? But the question comes to be, how will I handle disappointment? Right. And the inevitable disappointment, as we said, of death. Yeah. And suffering. Yep. Yeah. And I love that perspective, um, a lesson in disappointment. Um, because ultimately, if you have hope, there's a potential, there's always a potential to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you have, you know, hope implies that you are looking forward to something that you don't have. And so in that tr- transition between not having it and having it, a lot can go wrong. <laughs> right. And so I, I know that this is why some um, some Eastern traditions, like um, Eastern, uh, like Buddhistic traditions, would recommend that um, it, it's best to even not have hope and almost to live mm. in like an idealized despair um, so that you can't be disappointed, right? It, it's almost like, uh, like that idea that like suffering is an illusion, uh, detach yourself from all emotions and feelings, don't hope for anything, and you will live your life in this calm, serene, calm, serene, uh, like state of being. Uh, but that's not the Christian perspective, and we see that that it's not it's not Jeremiah's um, uh, perspective either, because the last few lines when he talks about um, God being a fire burning in his heart. Uh, the you know the message that he has to proclaim is imprisoned is in, in his bones, and he grows weary holding it in. He can't endure it. That's that's a very impassioned way to look at your vocation, right? Mm-hmm. And so we see it's just Jeremiah here is very human, and his hope that he's holding out, yes, allows for disappointment, but ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, uh, at the end, that's when the hope will be fulfilled. And that's what we look forward to. We don't look forward to hope being fulfilled now, right? As Christians, reality is the cross. That's 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 what it is. And and, and anybody who thinks otherwise, um, I think is they're duped about what Christianity is. Right. And C.S. Lewis has this great quote in um from uh his um a grief observed the the work where he uh, reflects on his wife's path, passing. Um, and he says, I, I hope I don't butcher it. I'm paraphrasing, but he says, don't come talking to me about the console. Uh, he says, no, he said, yeah, first he says, you know, if you t- teach me, um, about, um, morality, um, and what Christianity has to offer, I will listen dutifully. Uh, you know, if you, t- if you teach me about scripture, uh, I'll li- listen obediently. He's like, but as soon as you start talking to me about the consolations of Christianity, I will assume you don't understand. <laughs> um, harsh. You know, it's very harsh. But it's entirely true. Like, right. you walk into a Catholic church, the first thing you see above the tabernacle should be a crucified man. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and that's the way it is. But, but again, that's in the now. Like, that's, that's reality as we experience it in our bodies. We're looking forward to 
uh, an, an eternity where our hope is fulfilled. And as was it Paul or Peter? Hope does not disappoint. Um, and it, but but it's hope like capital H, right? Right. Um, right. It, well, it's the um, the rejoicing, uh, mourning and rejoicing. Mourning and, and rejoicing. Uh, and yeah. Exactly. Those who mourn will you know will be comforted and such. Yep. It's like there, there's actually the both in Christianity. It's yeah. that there is happiness and yeah. there is joy, but it's joy in conformity to Christ on the well, cross. Right, yeah, and that's a so, good caveat because it's not, right, when we look at the cross, like, well, that's reality and I grit my teeth and like right. power through. It, there's a strange paradox where the cross is consoling, right? Like suffering can be consoling uh, when it's put in a context of meaning, right? And like what Christ has done to redeem death and, and, and our human state. Uh, and so, but that's a, that's a consolation that um, transcends the consolation of the world, right? Um, it doesn't feel like a warm blanket, but it's actually like this security knowing that like all will be well. Right. Like, even in this suffering, all will be well. Right. And I think so. that's part of the lesson of Jeremiah mm-hmm. is disappointment is in a sense the price that you pay for having hope. Or yeah. having ideals, or having a standard, something yeah. that my life and my calling is something so beyond me that I will never quite completely achieve in this life, yeah. and there will be a, a level of disappointment. However, it is something that provides such powerful meaning, like I said, or yeah. orientation. Yep. That although I may labor and labor and labor, beginning with hope. And seemingly enter end in disappointment. It's not what I hope to reap in this life. Mm-hmm. It's what I hope to reap in the next. Yeah. Um, of course, you know you have a, a Nietzschean interpretation of Ooh. Christian. Christian <laughs> well, you know, Christianity as, as a nihilistic religion, right? You know, yeah. It, right. it destroys <clears throat> the best in man. His his instincts and it teaches you to kind of hate this life for the sake of the next. Yeah. And right. I I, I think that's. Um, not quite true because Jeremiah, the lesson of Jeremiah is to work hard in this life. And part of that is is not hating this life. Because if you truly hate this life, I don't think you'll work hard, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's the logic I'm Right, no, no, totally. Uh, I think it's not so much, this kind of gets at the second reading a little bit. Um, we can make that transition. Trans- yeah, I, I yeah. think, you know, luckily this week, I think the three readings have a nice... Continuity. Yeah, continuity. Sometimes yeah. Well, they don't. one phrase yeah. I like to use sometimes in um, preaching uh, is uh, like this: "This passage pairs well with." It's like a mm. wine that pairs well with a yes. cheese or something. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it's the it's feast, a good peer- it's pairing. The feast you know? of scripture. It's the feast. Yeah. You know, the hermeneutic of continuity. I yeah, thought that's what I thought you were going to say. But, uh, no, this passage pairs well with a, a nice, uh, you know, uh, creamy brie. Right. She, no, a know, nice beginning of the letter of, or uh, the twelfth chapter of Romans. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a nutty aftertaste, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but no, anyway, that's um, you're right. If we truly hated our lives, um, then there would be. Well, especially we see this really in Catholicism. There are some branches of Christianity, Protestant branches that um, do tend to take hate very literally in in uh in their in their lives where you know there can't be any experience of pleasure all right um but i think a more balanced and accurate and catholic view um quite honestly 
is that there can be a sense of pleasure, a sense of happiness, as we were talking about, uh, but it has to be in the context of a, a greater narrative. And right. that Christ has come to redeem us even in the now, right? It's not that we're looking, we are looking forward to heaven. Don't get me wrong. And we're, we await a new heaven and a new earth. But that doesn't mean that we can't see those, the fruits of redemption in the now. We mm-hmm. still can. And that's what we partake in. You know, the mass is a partaking of things yet to come. It's that great eschatological sign, right? Yeah. Um, where already and not yet, <laughs> right? That that yes. famous um, turn of phrase, you know, that yeah. uh, seminary love to, to espouse. Right. So, well, I mean, so. if you take someone like St. John on the cross, you know, the dark night of the soul, the night of the senses and the spirit, and you think it's about this complete stripping of all joy mm-hmm. and pleasure. And, but it's more about a reorientation of those joys yes, and desires. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that actually joy and desire is very good. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you can't eradicate those things. Yeah. It's impossible. Well, yeah. But it, it, you can't, yeah. but what St. John is saying is you can't just trust that your desires right now as they are unpurified and un, undirected mm-hmm. are good. Yeah, exactly. That you, if you are able to direct them, then you will experience, you know, you, you, as Christ says, you will experience a hundredfold in this life and in the next. Yeah. He says this life. Yeah, 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 exactly, so, exactly. Now, it may not come. Like, what does that mean, though? And right. And like, how does that look like? It may um, not come how you think. Right. It's, that doesn't mean you're going to have, you know, a whole garage full of cars and a beautiful house and an in-ground pool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some of us might. Yeah, <laughs> an in-ground pool, that's the mark of success. No. But, right, um, it's, it, how do you measure, um, uh, you know, right. having a fruitful life now and in the next life? Right. Um, as you were talking about those, um, you know, spiritual masters, John of the Cross, um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of um, St. Teresa of Avila. Um, what, what's that famous statue? Uh, is it the ecstasy of Teresa of Avila? Um, uh, the one with the arrow? Yeah. Yeah, I, it's either the ecstasy or the um, transverberation. It, it's, office, a, it's a beautiful um, image. But I, I, I heard that it caused a lot of controversy when it came out because it, it's a very sensual image. Right. Uh, this, yes. you know, um, Teresa is impassioned, mm-hmm. um, and it, it just—I it, I was just reminded of that this image um, because there's a sense of love and passion that we have for our Lord that does eschew all um, pl- pleasure and, and, and the flesh, um, you know, in very crudely and maybe inaccurately, as Nietzsche says, uh, hatred for this life. But if that's born out of a love for our Lord, then that's what love looks like. Like love is pain in a sense, right? Um, Love is, uh, it's going to cause like this um, desire to reject all material things for the sake of the beloved. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, when you're when you're in love, sometimes you forget to sleep or eat, right? Because you're so obsessed with your beloved. You're, you know, as as Jeremiah says, like you know, it's it's within your bones, and it's hard to even keep it in. And I think that's where like a hatred of the world comes in, mm-hmm. where it's like it's not just because you hate the world as world, but it's because you love God as God, and there's a sense of like yeah. attachment that yeah. naturally comes with love. Well, um, you know, the same almost all spiritual writers in the mystical tradition talk about. The love of God is often being a wound. You know, certainly St. Yeah. John talks about it, that the love of God has wounded him. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that you know, you're, you're, you're aching for him. It, it follows the tradition of St. Paul. You know, yeah. I, 
I don't know which is best to be here and to labor or to be with God. Like, I, I don't want to yeah. be here. I want to be with God, but at the same time, I, I have work to do here. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's hopefully the the good, or that's what we aspire to is to be, is to feel that tension of, I don't hate this life. Yeah. Like it's, you know, my family needs me or there's work I still need to do. Right. Believe me. However, I, I do want to one day be with God. Yeah. Right. And, well, and, and, and charity actually um, directs those loves to God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like they're separate or it's like, Loving my family and doing my work here is somehow disconnected um, from a love of God, right? That's the definition of charity is love of God and love of other things for the sake of God. Right. And so if you're truly if you're truly impassioned with a burning desire to be with God, then you're going to love the world radically, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it comes from his hands, you know? And of course, it's going to be um, a, uh, a love that's moderated by a perspective of something greater, but... It doesn't look like this Buddhistic detachment of, oh, uh, I'm going to just be in this idealized state of despair so that I don't get disappointed. And you're like numb to your surroundings. Mm-hmm. I think the true Christian loves the world passionately for the sake of Christ and knowing that yes. it will be brought to its ultimate fulfillment in the end and that all things, again, will be well. Um, so, and anyway, that's what, um, I, that's what I think uh, Paul is getting at in the second reading. Yeah, because we we certainly have in the second reading this this union of of body and mind mm-hmm. that because as he says to offer your your bodies as a living as a, sacrifice. as a living sacrifice, yep. which is certainly um, I mean he's getting at a few things historically. Um, he's building off a tradition that you know when the when the Jews were in exile and away from the temple, they had to deal with this question of okay, so what do we do about sacrifice? Like, mm-hmm. how do we worship? Yeah, because there is no temple to offer sacrifice in. Right. So that's when you see sort of this turn towards, um, uh, not Torah, Torah observance, and mm-hmm. not not worship, but that one can offer to God a sacrifice of praise and worship without the temple. Right. You have that, but then also you have um, maybe implicitly the kind of a contra, uh, contra gnostic view. Is you know the of the body body mind duality mm-hmm. is that your body is actually worthy of being part of worship of God right yeah offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God right yeah but then he says your spiritual worship so yeah you know you have this it's on the face of it it's like body soul right you're offering your bodies as a living sacrifice as a spiritual worship uh, you made an interesting insight. Um, with that word spiritual, um, coming from the Greek, what, what was the word? Um, so it's from logikos. So but the, it's translated as spiritual, but the original is... It, so it could be, so it's the exact word is logiken. Logiken, okay. That he uses. Um, and then latria. You know, worship. Which, worship. Yeah. Um, now, if you have a little bit of Greek background, lo, uh, logikos sounds a little bit like logos mm-hmm. word, but then also has, if you pronounce it a little bit differently, you have almost like logic, logikos, right. yeah. if, you, if you pronounce it a little bit differently. So there's this idea that uh, in some translations, some English translations have this. They'll talk about uh, th- this passage, instead of saying spiritual worship, they'll say rational worship or mm. reasonable worship or reasonable and 
you know, divine worship or something. So there's there's something going on that um, Ratzinger says it's it's almost impossible to translate, but that there's this idea that in worship, the logos and the worshiper have to be con- are conformed together. Mm. That the rational part of me, my my mind, is conformed to the mind of Christ mm. in worship. Right, and it seems like I don't know. I'm I'm kind of like I'm getting like this Aristotelian um, vibe, <laughs> if you will, uh, with this sense of body and a rational worship. You know, uh, the way Aristotle uh, describes man is a rational animal, mm-hmm. and so that sense of higher and lower, right? Sure. Uh, and it seems like Paul is urging his. The, his community, the Roman community, to subdue what is animalistic, right? Sure. Your um, animal appetites, as it were. Uh, <laughs> Very scholastic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, in order to raise up the highest part of man, mm-hmm. his reason, right? Um, and, and that sense of logos um, within man is like the internal logic of all things, right? And this is why... Mm-hmm. We say um, Christ is the Word, like the internal logic that moves the universe. <laughs> that, right. that that is, yeah, uh, that is God Himself, and so, and so, yeah. Paul is urging his people like li- live according to your highest um, potential, uh, live according to the Spirit, uh, which you know Aristotelian or a scholastic way of, of understanding it is, is rationally. Uh, do not cons- conform yourselves to this age, Paul says, uh, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, like that reason. So, um, in, in in that, you actually have the the classic body, mind, and soul, because you have mm, yeah body that he uses there, which I probably is suke or sark or something like that. Um, but clearly the body. Then you have this rational part, which is more um, like I said the the logikos. Mm-hmm. But then the word he uses for mind is noose, which is. Mm. properly so it's not like yeah. it's not like you use sometimes you'll see uh mind and soul used interchangeably but here he's using words speci- specifically for mind right and not soul so you do have this mind soul body yeah that the like whole of man right is meant to be part of this yeah. worship it's meant to be it's, it's kind of funny holistic worship yeah yeah um uh ratzinger calls it to be logified in, in, in the worship that man is. <laughs> uh, because apparently I... Become logified. Is it, is it, we're going to get that in a cup or something? Yeah. <laughs> like a t-shirt? <laughs> Actually, wait, I, I do kind of like that. To be, you know, lo- logified. Um, well, it's, it's interesting because Pope Benedict basically calls this part, uh, when he's examining the liturgy, this existential Eucharistic theology. So mm. like it's man's being man's existence that partakes in the liturgy. Yeah. As no longer is spiritual, no longer is worship something external to me. I don't offer an animal. I don't offer a thing. Right, right. Which is, is so, you know, which is very common yeah. in religion up until this point. But he's saying now part of it is the sacrifice of the word and my own sacrifice. Yeah. You know, as we say in the liturgy, your, my sacrifice and yours. Yeah. So it's this... Christ and 
man, like, you know, right. bringing man into the sacrifice. Right. And, you know, that's intimated in the Old Testament. Um, in the Psalms, when um, the psalmist will say, like, there, there is no temple now to worship you, but my my sacrifice now is a contrite spirit. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like, that's what is left when um, there is no temple to worship in. And we're talking about, like, physical temple, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, there's a historic sense to that, of course. But I think even even the Israelites knew in the Old Testament that the thing that God wants most is man, right? It, it's man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's not just the bulls and animals that are sacrificed, but it's actually the heart of man that God wants. Right. And um, you see that, that development in the later prophets. Yeah. That they... Um, that's a that's a beautiful way to put it though that existential worship, um, right? Yeah, that's that's really beautiful. Because uh, that's um a big point for Ratzinger in the liturgy is that man is offering himself his inmost yes. being, and well, and he does that through the bridge that is God and man, Christ, right? Right. Um, the only way that man can offer himself is through Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's really that's really. So I guess in, in the Roman canon, um. In the Latin, it talks about before consecration that the sacrifice may be made rational. That's what it looks like in the Latin. Mm. But what he's saying is not that. Not or what we're saying is not that sacrifice should be rational, because then it kind of implies this it's like philosophical knowledge. Yeah. And again, it, this is supposed to be contra-gnostic. It's mm-hmm. it's not only that your body's not bad, but it's not well. In order to offer the right sacrifice, you should have. A forty-year degree no, right. in, in philosophy, <laughs> you know, right. it's like no. Actually, you don't have to have any education yeah. to offer this. But what he's saying is that um, may the sacrifice become the sacrifice of the logos mm-hmm. of of the word of rationality, yep. and that we are asking for the gifts to be transformed, and we ask Christ to do this. Yeah, and we ask that as Christ becomes a sacrifice, we will become. Logified with him, we will yeah. become sacrificed with him. Exactly, um, and I think this is what Saint Paul is trying to say with this. You know, be transformed. Mm-hmm. So undergo this metamorphosis. Be become transformed into Christ. Yeah, as Christ is a perpetual sacrifice. Exactly. You yourself in in your daily life, because I think that's another part of this. Is it, it's not simply the liturgy, but it's actually the liturgy of every day. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that it's it's this continual. Um, kind of birth Constant and death worship. and li- living and dying. Yeah, a paradox that we're asking, and it's the same kind of uh, paradox of, I think, well, somewhat of a paradox of the eternal liturgy mm-hmm. that Christ doesn't die every day on, in the mass. Yeah, he's not re-sacrificed. Right, that's a strong it's an point. Bloody sacrifice. Right, that's a strong point yeah. that many Catholic theologians make is that Christ is is not re re-killed. Yeah. But there is this eternal now, yeah. the event of the cross, where he was becomes present right at mass. Yeah. It comes present again. Yeah. So it's sort of yep. the same thing. It's how is it that I'm supposed to live and die? Mm-hmm. And it's it's that same thing of like you're living, but you're you're, you're to undergo this inner metamorphosis and inner death. Yeah. Every day. Right. Yeah. I hope that yeah. makes sense. No, it does. <laughs> it does. And that cyclical notion of living, dying. Uh, seen best at the mass, of course, uh, but it, it's interesting in our second reading. Um, you know, uh, Paul says clearly, it congruent to what you're saying: be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This transformation that has to take place. Uh, 
do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I feel like conforming yourself to this age is very much living in um, like the present moment. Uh, that's the material world, which is fading. That's where you give into despair. That's where disappointment happens, right? But if you can offer that up as a living sacrifice, your, your body as a living sacrifice, raise your mind to, to worship, then you can undergo this transformation. Um, that you may discern what is the will of God. And the will of God is ultimately is... Um, a theosis for everyone, right? Like the, all things may be made one in him. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the mass is getting at that you know, in communion. That's why we call it communion. Uh, but it, it's the, the, the language that Paul uses here is just, it's so fitting to what the end of man actually is in worship. Right. Um, yeah. It's this um, remolding. Like you said, the surrender of your, your will. Yeah. Your self will to the will of God. Yep. And then once you discern that, the will of what the will of God is, what He desires most. Again, a re like a reunion of all things. That is what is good, pleasing, and perfect. Right? When we talk about perfect, we're talking about the like the, the everything as it ought to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's the new heavens and the new earth that we're right. looking forward to. Um, so, it's I, I never realized how um, liturgically oriented this passage is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, some people have argued that this is actually the center of. Um, Ratzinger's thought on the liturgy. Really? Is, is that this, right? This spiritual worship okay. idea. Yeah. Because um, there's 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 a lot to it. It's quite the rabbit hole if you, yeah. if you ever um, want to go down it. But We should move to the gospel, though. Um, yes. So we have this gospel passage, Matthew 16, um, verses 21 to 27, is that shocking moment when uh, Peter is called Satan. <laughs> uh, so our Lord, the passage begins with our Lord saying that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer greatly. Uh, he's going to be, he's not only going to suffer greatly, but he's going to be killed by the elders and the chief, chief priests and the scribes saying that our own, he's, he's telling his disciples that our own religion will betray me. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And, Immediately, Peter takes him aside and rebukes him and said, God forbid, no such thing shall ever happen to you. Peter might be emboldened here because right before this passage, Christ claimed him as the rock on which he's going to build his church. Right. And so maybe Peter thinks that this is like him stepping up to the plate. <laughs> um, but our Lord immediately rebukes Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan, you are an obstacle to me, a stumbling block, scandalon. That's where we get scandalous from. That's right. Um you are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Um, I think that phrase right there is one of the core phrases of the entire passage. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Uh, I've heard Christianity described as a paradox. It's like a, it's a religion of paradoxes, right? Mm-hmm. The, mad, the mighty are cast down from the thrones and the lowly are lifted up, right? The, the head of the greatest angel, Lucifer, is crushed by a simple virgin maiden, right? Uh and then it's it's man, the, the lowly man who has fallen. Um, God assumes that nature and then redeems the world. It's it's all it's all paradox. But even within the thinking of Christianity, like the philosophy behind Christianity, it is a religion of uh, of paradoxes. Um, and that's the second part of the gospel, where our Lord expounds on that and says, "Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it." Um, 
on the face of it, paradox, right? It looks it's foolishness to the the Greeks, right? As as Paul would right, say, right? Stumbling. <laughs> um, oh, is it fool, foolishness to? It's or, um, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness, and foolishness to, to the Greek, Greeks. I but, believe. But what we preach is Christ, the power of the God, of power, the power of God and wisdom of God. Right. Right. Uh, not as God, not as not as man thinks, but as God thinks. Right. So. Well, I think this you are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. That that's the summation of what we've been talking about with mm-hmm. the kind of di- the idea of disappointment in Jeremiah and the idea of being conformed to Christ and mm-hmm. renewal of your mind beyond this age is we're trying to get the wisdom of God. Yeah. We're trying to see God or trying to see the world from God's point of view. And to the degree that you do that is that you are a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. So when Peter's called Satan, clearly Christ knows who Satan is. You know, yeah. he, he's not calling him, you are actually right. Satan. But I right. would say that you are, you know, because another word for Satan would be the adversary. Yeah. You you see that throughout scripture. Right. You're speaking so, um, like in the spirit of the adversary. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. so far as you are a block to me, yeah. you do not follow me and your will, you are self-willed, as we talked about, and you're opposed to me, you yeah. participate in the spirit of the satanic. Exactly. You participate in an adversarial spirit yeah. against my will. Which is, cosmologically, that is so accurate because it is only by the cross that all things are renewed. Um, you know, in, in John, uh, this is, um, uh, Ratzinger uses this um, verse from John to explain Christ's mission. He's like, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Um, speaking about the cross. And Peter is saying, God forbid that such a thing will ever happen. <laughs> it, it, right. right? Yeah. He's saying like, God forbid that all men will be drawn to you through the cross. Right. That That is the spirit of the adversary versus the spirit of God right there. Right. To dismember the world or to uh, to, to, to reconstruct it uh, right. back again. And, and because he doesn't, he thinks as humans do, which a human would think that a, a man crucified is the end of all things. Is, that's it. That's, yeah. Again, that's the greatest failure. Yep. That's disappointment. Yep. Like after all this time of following you, you're going to die. Yeah. Like how in the world are you supposed to do all the things that you've been talking about? Yeah. If you're just going to die on a cross, but in a sense, Christ is saying like you don't you don't even understand. Right. Like you don't you don't know what's about to happen, or you haven't you haven't been listening. You you challenge me as Satan did in in the wilderness. You know, in the same gospel yeah. about well, if you're really the Messiah. You're challenging my messiahship. Yeah, and if you if you knew what I had to do, you wouldn't be this obstacle. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that there's a, a bit of Jeremiah in Peter as well. Uh, you know, going back to uh, last week's gospel passage and right, what comes before this passage. Again, Peter is chosen as the first pope. The church uh, is built on the rock that is Peter. Uh, he's given over the keys. There seems to be a lot of hope for Peter's future, just as there was yeah. hope for Jeremiah. Jeremiah was chosen as one among many before he was even born. Peter here is chosen too. But I think on a natural level, they assumed what that would look like, right? Uh, maybe Peter thought that, well, we have this great assembly of men led by the Christ himself, the Son of God. It was already revealed to his disciples that he was the son of God. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I can only imagine uh, on a natural level, you would think that you're going to just storm storm the gates of hell, right? Like that, and you're just going to go out with guns blazing. Right. But that's the wisdom of God is that it's not, that is not, that's not so. And that your failure, what looks like human fa- failure is actually s- can be success in God, as it were. Right. Uh, just as Jeremiah was disappointed in, in what the life of a prophet actually meant and looked like, so too was Peter shocked and maybe he was scandalized himself as to like, w- what does it mean for the son of God to be crucified? Right. Uh, and so I see, yeah, there's a, there's a really interesting um, parallel um, to Peter's life and to Jeremiah's life. You know, and, and I think this second reading provides that bridge. It's, you know, this sense of disappointment, but if you were able to undergo this transformation mm-hmm. and this being conformed to Christ, then you were able to see this. Yeah. But I think you're very right about Peter being a a type of Jeremiah's because right before this passage, he said, you know, I will establish my church on you. Mm-hmm. Hell won't prevail against it. I give you the keys to the kingdom. Yeah, it's like, like, wow, this promises a lot of hope. And right, so, yeah. it's like, this is great. And then immediately says, I'm going to go off and uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to suffer greatly. I'm going to be killed. Yeah. And so in a sense, Peter's response is, it's very true. It's like, well, no way. Like, I would never allow that to happen to you. Yeah. Of course, right? Like, why would you, if someone said, I'm going to go off and suffer greatly and be killed, you would say, well, I'm going to try to stop that. I'm yeah. not going to let you do that. But it's it's this greater perspective that, that Christ has on, on this mission, yeah. obviously. That, as I think you pointed out perfectly, what you're actually trying to get me to do is to not save, not save the humanity. World. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you don't know that. Um, yeah. Yep. But in order to do that, in order for you to get behind me, that is to follow me as opposed to be the adversary to me, yeah. you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. Uh, you have to, like you said, paradoxically lose your life. To find and, it. And then you will find it. Yep. You're thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. And it's fascinating too, because you know, as Peter is trying to prevent our Lord from going to the cross, uh, he then, in his own life, suffers the same fate. You know, right. He is crucified, and that's his success in the end. Right? Right. He becomes a martyr, and and that's uh, that's how he gained eternal life. That's how he was successful: is giving up his own life in the same way. Yeah. Um. So eventually, he did see it, but it took him his whole life <laughs> to to realize that. Um. You know, Nietzsche once said that. You know his or his idea that the revaluation of all values. Could come, could come again. That when the advent of nihilism comes and people come to grips with the fact that God has died, forsake the old vestiges of Christianity right. and tradition. Yeah. Once, once we realize the death of God, there will be, and that's the place of value. Then we can create new values. Mm-hmm. And he said that his part of his uh, evidence for that was that Christianity did that. That there was the values of antiquity. Right. Christianity came and subverted those values, and again, it could happen again. And in a sense, he's correct about Christianity radically reorienting the values of antiquity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's seen here at the end of the gospel where he says, whoever you know, wishes to save his life will lose it. Yeah. And whoever wants, you know, whoever wants to, to profit from this life should truly try to forfeit his life. Forfeit his yeah. life. Yep. You know, what 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 value can you give for your life? What what can you exchange for it? Mm-hmm. And I think that on the cross, Christ does, in fact, 
reevaluate all the values of, yeah. of antiquity. Yep. It says that no success is not what you reap in this life, but the degree to which you are conformed to the will of God, regardless of success. Yeah. And the value and the, the reward yeah. at the end. I remember that's how um, Ratzinger describes um, like the final evolutionary stage of man is Christ on the cross, essentially. Uh, and, and it's on the cross that man finally realizes his full potential. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and, and he says it succinctly. Who, you know, it, man realizes by looking at the cross that in order to find your life, you have to give it away. Yeah, which, uh, which is almost exactly contra Nietzsche. Again, I've, I've, yeah, heard, I've right. heard a few authors say that uh, Ratzinger was in an implicit dialogue with Nietzsche mm. throughout his writings. So you can kind of see it. But it's interesting. If you look at the index of his writings, Nietzsche's mentioned very little yeah. explicitly. And but he's, he's taking his philosophy. And like, because just, yeah. the final evolution of man for Nietzsche is the Ubermensch. Right, exactly. Which is the man who creates his own values. Yeah, and grabs that, it for himself. Right, and his, yeah, right that yeah. life is his for the taking, and he creates his own yep. values, and that there is no law other than himself. Yeah. This is um, Raskolnikov in mm-hmm. uh, Crime and Punishment, yeah. that I can commit murder and get away with it. my own value. Because yeah. I'm above the herd. right. When, when in reality, the final evolution of man is Christ. Yeah. Radically giving away his life. Yeah, exactly. And saying that power is, is not in taking. Yeah. But and that, that, like that, that vision is so future-oriented. Um, as we've been discussing here, like if you're just focused on the now, it, none of this stuff makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, is, this vision is born out of, one, of love, because love is paradoxical, you know. In love, you have pleasure and pain, and like the things that we're talking about. But also, it's 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 in order to aim for that each that that goal of eternity, where all things now is not suppressed and obliterated, but reori- reorganized into its proper context. Um, and once you have that vision, that broader vision, which we can call wisdom, like that bigger perspective. Right. Once you have the wisdom of God. Um, these paradoxes just make perfect sense, and they resonate. They resonate within the human heart as something entirely true. You know, it's not something that you can just lay before someone's feet and say, "Like, like believe this. This paradox makes sense." Like, you have to experience that, you know, for yeah. yourself. So, yeah. Well, I'll end on a slightly apologetic note at the very, the very last part. As a defense or as a apology, like a sorry. Oh, defense. Sorry. <laughs> so, okay. okay. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I do. I am sorry for everything that yeah. <laughs> that went wrong. I guess and, and anything in the podcast, any slip ups. Um, but at the end here, he says, "You will repay." Then he will. The Son of Man will repay all according to his conduct. Mm. So, what is being said here is that the cross of Christ is not something external. Remember that that was the whole point of the spiritual worship thing mm-hmm. in 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 Saint Paul was no more animal sacrifices, something external. Right. I don't sacrifice grain. Mm-hmm. I don't sacrifice anything. Even Christ Himself now is not an external sacrifice, right. but it's my participation in the sacrifice of Christ. Mm-hmm. So the cross isn't something I claim; it's something I enter into exactly with yeah. Christ. Right, right. And part of this is. All will be re- rewarded according to his conduct. Yeah, as as Saint Paul says, as offering your body as that living sacrifice. Right. So yeah. it's not simply 
faith. Faith also, faith and grace very much so. Yeah. But you also have to participate. You have to do something. Yeah. You have to embody this somehow. Exactly. You can't just say, you know. Believe it on a intellectual level right. and assent to it and then live your life right. separately as if you're too, you know. Right. The way you described it once, um, uh, this was a long time ago. It always stuck with me though. You said that a saint is someone whose beliefs and his actions run parallel together. Um and I think that that's a really good way of putting uh, what Christians are called to do is that right. your like the, your beliefs and your actions are not in conflict with each other. Right. Um, they're running together. Because you know, in in the Mass before the the liturgy of uh, the Eucharist, you have the creed, mm-hmm. but it's not enough to just check that off. It's like, do right. you believe in one God? Yeah. I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I do. You know, do you you know believe in the Holy Spirit? I do. And yeah. it's like, okay, you're great. Done. And then you leave. No. And then you leave. It's no, you do you ascend to these things? Yeah. I do. Okay. Now enter into now participate into that sacrifice. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Now now participate in what you just said you believed in. Yeah. Yep. So hundred percent. It yes, it's it's intellectual, but it's also body. Yep. You know, it's it's supposed to be integrated. But yeah. that's my my final thought. That's good. I thought I thought we um covered some good ground there. And um, the crazy thing is there is so much more to say. But yeah. luckily in three years. We'll, we'll have get it back again. to it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we'll come back to it. So. We promise we won't just repeat this right. uh, <laughs> the same podcast. <laughs> so that that is a good thing. Is even though not everything was said, that's okay. There's always because we have plenty more. Scripture is always endless, right? That's endless true. with insight, the endless mind. Yeah. <laughs> Keep Very digging. Good. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. And remember, you can email us any questions at basically related podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.